Alrighty everyone, welcome back to another episode of Law Schoolers. We are talking about civil procedure today, moving into complex litigation, and today the focus is going to be about joinder of claims and parties. So we'll go through each of those. Uh, we'll start with the claims and then we'll move into parties and how all that works. And then we'll talk about counterclaims and how that is going to function into all of this as well. And that's going to be our outline for this episode. So let's go ahead and talk about joining of claims. Well, the federal rules of civil procedure allows parties to add claims broadly. And that means you you can add claims from uh, related to negligence, breach of conduct, breach a contract, and you can do this against a party regardless of whether or not these claims are related. So according to Rules 8 and 18, a party may bring as many claims, whether these are related or unrelated, against another party. Although these claims are going to be brought together, the unrelated claims may still call for a separate trial. So what's the rule actually say? Rule 18A says a party asserting a claim, a counterclaim, or cross-claim or a third-party claim may join as independent or alternative claims as many claims as it had against an opposing party. It is important to note, though, that even if the rules allow you to bring multiple claims, we need to check multiple boxes. First, the rules need to allow it. That's pretty much a given. The second I guess this is also a rule, but we need to make sure that the subject matter jurisdiction of each of these claims are going to be met, especially if we bring this in a federal court where subject matter jurisdiction is generally more limited. So, for example, if you have a breach of contract claim, that's a state law claim, and you have a negligent claim, that's also a state law claim, you can bring these together as long as both of them meet subject matter jurisdiction. That means if you have a state law claim of breach of contract with, uh, so this is going to be a diversity jurisdiction is the only way it makes it into federal courts, parties need to be from separate states. Uh, Same thing with the negligence claim as well. Subject matter jurisdiction as well as the rules must apply in order for these claims to be brought together. What about joining of parties? Well, according to Rule 20, multiple plaintiffs can sue the same defendant or multiple defendants. And this is true as long as their claims rise from the same transaction or circumstance of events. Rule 20A actually gives the actual language. It says persons may join in one action as plaintiffs if A, they assert a right to relief arising out of the same transaction, occurrence, or series of transactions or occurrences, and B, any question of law or fact common to all plaintiffs will arise in the action. If you end up bringing one party that should not be a party, this is called a misjoinder, and Rule 21 talks about how to remove that party. A misjoinder, it says specifically, a misjoinder of parties is not a ground for dismissing an action. On motion or on its own, the court may at any time add or drop a party. The court may also sever any claim against a party. And so this brings us to our case, uh, Holbein versus Heritage Mutual Insurance Co., where we kind of see these rules in action, where Rule 20, you're bringing multiple parties as long as it has that same occurrence of events 
And then Rule 21 is where the defendant is trying to say, no, we should not be a party of this, or rather, these people should all bring separate claims against us, not as a combination. So what happened in this case is Halbein and I believe three other parties had each applied for executive positions at Heritage Mutual Insurance Company. Uh, All of them were either accepted, denied, uh, but it was all based off of lies that Heritage Mutual Insurance had told during the interviews. Your pay is going to be this, your jobs are going to be that, uh, your uh, job is going to be safe, and ultimately all those things were a lie. There were probationary periods that the applicants were not informed of, pay was not what they said, and ultimately it just resulted in a bad situation. So Holbein and the others are trying to say, okay, let's all band together and we're going to sue Heritage Mutual Insurance Company together. And Heritage Mutual Insurance Company obviously wants all these people to be separated. And the reason for the separation is because then it would be heard in front of several juries. Combined, they're heard in front of the same jury, and it ultimately can corroborate that this action that was taken by the defendant here is a true thing that is going on. So in this case, we can see this illustration of how defendants are not a fan of Rule 20 because ultimately it means that multiple plaintiffs can testify in front of the same jury. And if that's the case, the plaintiffs have a much higher chances of winning. And if the cases are separate, then the defendant has a much higher chance of winning. So that's why defendants are often trying to apply Rule 21, which is to get these claims separated. So you have to sue the defendant one by one. But to apply the Rule 21, you need to be, meet both of the elements uh, to, of Rule 20. And we talked about both of those elements. We have A, all those transactions, occurrences, or series of transactions need to arise from that same fact pattern. In other words, the situations need to be related and be any question or law of fact common to all plaintiffs will arise in the transaction. Ultimately, if the answer to the first part is going to be yes, then the answer to part two is also going to be yes. In this case, the plaintiffs needed to show that the defendant's actions were developing a pattern of behavior that was sufficiently similar between each of those plaintiffs uh, that the operative fact would apply against that defendant. So now let's go ahead and talk about counterclaims. The first to sue is going to be the plaintiff, but the defendant in this situation may still have a claim against the plaintiff. As a result, they're going to file a counterclaim. And there are two different kinds of counterclaims. There's compulsory counterclaims and there's permissive counterclaims. Rule 13A1A defines what a compulsory counterclaim is. A compulsory counterclaim is a requirement to countersue if your claim would arise from the same facts as the current litigation. In other words, if your claim is related to their claim, you are required to file your counterclaim. If you don't file your counterclaim, you're going to waive that argument. You can't bring it up again. And the whole purpose of this is to minimize the amount of court expenses that are going into the same issue. You don't want to relitigate the same thing twice. Rule B says what a permissive counterclaim is. 
It says a pleading may state a counterclaim against any claim that is not compulsory. Pretty straightforward. If it's not compulsory, it's going to be permissive. And ultimately what this means is that permissive counterclaims are going to be claims that don't relate to the plaintiff's counterclaims. So for instance, you and the plaintiff are involved in a car accident. Plaintiff sues you. You can countersue regarding the car accident and that's going to be a compulsory counterclaim. But say you also have a claim against them for a boat accident that occurred about six months earlier. You can in that same litigation, countersue them for that boat accident that could have happened, and that would be an example of a permissive counterclaim. A car accident is a classic example of a counterclaim. Uh, this is our, our good case here is King versus Blanton, and it was a counterclaim. So ultimately, if the Issues of facts and law are largely the same. The same evidence is involved in the same action. And there's a logical relationship between the nature and actions of the remedy sought. You are required to sue at that time. The defendant would be required to bring a counterclaim against an original pleading. And any failure to do so would dismiss any future claims. This instance, uh, one party sued before got a judgment or a settlement against them. Later, the other party realized, oh, I can sue them back. So they tried to sue them back. It was related to the same car accident, and the court wouldn't allow that because that should have been done earlier. And just as one side note, I mean, it makes pretty clear sense, but counterclaims apply uh, appear in the answer. So let's go ahead and summarize what we talked about. We talked about joining a claims talked about joining the parties, and we talked about counterclaims. As far as joining the claims go, these can be related or unrelated claims. As, long as, as far as joining the parties go, these need to be related parties. And as far as counterclaims go, compulsory counterclaims are related claims, and permissive counterclaims are unrelated counterclaims. If you didn't catch it, the big concept of all of this is the word Related. Uh, related helps us determine whether or not you can add, what you can add, who you can add, and what, how you end up countersuing. That's everything as far as joinder of claims and parties go, and we've got more complex litigation to talk about later. See you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it. As well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.